On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll cover a lot of ground, like Tyrese Halliburton's strong early impression, sharing a backcourt with Malcolm Brogdon, a few players who have stood out recently, and some news about a couple of assistant coaches, plus a lot more. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. One thing I love right now is that Indy is lively again. It's lively right now because there's so much going on in the downtown area. First of all, outside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse and on the big windows, there's banners going up for the upcoming Big Ten basketball tournament at the Fieldhouse. Uh, All over downtown, no matter where you walk, you'll run into people with NFL personnel, with teams, with, you know, media credentials. There's so much there because the NFL scouting combine is back for its annual visit. Love to see it back in its original form with so many here and able to attend and participate, which is great. I unfortunately, I think it might be permanently going to Los Angeles. I hope that's not the what happens because it should stay here. Everybody loves it here. But we shall see. Now, over the next couple of weeks, there will be a lot more than just the combine. You'll have the Big Ten men's and women's basketball tournaments, the Horizon League men's and women's basketball tournaments. Those are up north at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. I'll have the broadcast for some of the women's games. But with so many events in town and mostly at the Fieldhouse, that also means the Pacers are away. They're currently on their last big road trip of the season, four straight on the road throughout this week, and currently on a stretch with six of seven on the road. I will say they're liking it right now. I mean, uh, they're at a uh, very nice five-star hotel in Orlando, and they're able to unpack and settle in because they play the Orlando Magic on back-to-back games. They lost Monday in a a bad showing, and they'll play again on Wednesday. I kind of have the rule that I created that in terms of if you go to a city and you're there for more than one night, you unpack and settle in. So that's what the Pacers have been able to do and also more than that because they played on Sunday and Monday that means Tuesday is a mandatory off day so uh, some players actually use the opportunity to go to Disney World and take their young families and such I did see even for example though a guy like Kiefer Sykes was sure to get some shots off and get a workout in Um, he knows he's constantly trying to prove himself and is only under contract through the end of the year and also recently he hasn't gotten much playing time so I thought that was not only smart, but right of him to find a gym down there in Orlando and get after it. But it is weird to see the team now go away for much of a 10-day stretch. But they have had a home-friendly portion of their schedule for the last month or so, and that's kind of why. It gets off balance because of the Big Ten tournaments, because of uh, even the NCAA first and second round, some games will be played over at the Fieldhouse. Now, In terms of the Pacers, yeah, it's not going so well. But you guys already know that. 21 and 42, just 6 and 24 on the road, which is awful. Lost in Orlando one day after handling the Celtics. And I think that's kind of a perfect telling point away this season has gone. They've had some very good wins, and they've also had some awful wins, like losing to the Magic, worst team in the league. Uh, based on winning percentage, although, in fairness, Pacers were on the second night of a back-to-back. Magic had two days in between games and were waiting while the Pacers were flying into Orlando 
um, for example. As I record this, it's Tuesday, 1st of March. No, March is not the best month. I don't know why so many believe that, but I've seen that a lot on Twitter today. It also means it's Ronald Nord's birthday, so happy birthday to him. Um, an odd thing experienced over the last couple days is when do you celebrate Tyrese Halliburton's birthday? It's February 29th, and of course this year, not a leap year, so there was no February 29th. But I think if I'm him and I think what he's doing is you make it kind of a week-long celebration. Why not? You're unique. He's one of four NBA players in history to be born on that day, and you can only see it and celebrate it, what, every five years or so? Um, but <laughs> I thought that was a, a unique thing about Tyrese, who now 22 years old, but very much young, Still figuring out himself, figuring out the league, still settling in and indie. Uh, I mean, if you're a guy like him, you got to start looking for housing and where you want to live permanently rather than living in your near nearby hotel, which is what they've had to do for the first couple of weeks after the trade deadline and the Pacers obviously making those three moves. Karis LeVert to Cleveland. You send Sabonis, Lamb, Holiday to Sacramento, and you get Halliburton healed, Tristan Thompson and by the way, I thought Thompson handled himself very well in his short time here. He actually played, which surprised me a little bit, and I'll get into that a little bit later on. But true pro, and then you obviously, uh, the night before All-Star break, the final game, how about GM Rick Carlisle making, uh, be, becoming a source for news here, announcing that not only would the Pacers be waiving Tristan the following day, but Tristan intended to sign with the Chicago Bulls, which he ultimately did two days later, which he had to wait because he had to clear waivers, which is 48 hours uh, if no one claimed him. And he's a Chicago Bull now. So Rick was all all over that. And I know a lot of us in local media and some Pacer fans and even some media nationally kind of chuckled at that. And uh, I'm all for that. I did take notice of, of Rick's one thing he said in that, and it was – Hey, it's it's factual. There's nothing wrong with sharing that. So I appreciated that and also uh, had some good fun with that um, as well. But Pacers, in terms of this season, obviously not in a very good place. Fifth worst winning percentage in the league. So they're going to be lottery bound for the second straight year. And you're expected to see them select inside the top 10 for the first time since 1989. You don't want to jinx them because I guess, yes, statistically they could fall out of that. And we know the Fever have had zero luck here in the last four or five years. They still haven't had the number one overall pick despite being the worst team for the last several years. This year they're second overall, for example. But I fully expect Pacers to be a top five pick if things go their way and, and as they should. But there's another incredible streak that remains broken, and that's... Before last season, that COVID year uh, that we'll remember because of that and uh, Nate Bjorkren's eight months on the job, they didn't have a winning record at home. Uh, that ended a streak of 31 consecutive seasons, second longest all-time, I think, to the Spurs. Well, that's going to continue on. Um, I guess last year you could even, I would be willing to listen to an argument that let's throw that one out. There weren't a lot of fans in the stands. It was very limited attendance-wise. It was ongoing pandemic. Everyone was in mass. I mean, Nate Bjorkman didn't coach without a mask, for example. But now it's happening again. They're 15 and 18 at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Um, has not been a successful year that-wise. But that's why you saw them be active at the trade deadline. 
that's why you saw them willing to make deals. And not just willing, but compelled to. And one thing, uh, among the few things I thought were notable during Kevin Pritchard's quick press conference was that it was time for a new direction. It was time to move on and move on from the notion that they'll figure it out, that health will work out, and they'll be able to see that team. Well, we keep talking about that time and time and time again, and finally we can put that to bed, that they have moved on. Because, yeah, it would have been intriguing to see guys like Malcolm, like Karras, TJ Warren, Domas, uh, with Miles out there, but injuries kept that from happening time and time again. So Karras is going to remember his time here for being diagnosed with kidney cancer and taking care of that. And so it's very favorable returning to the Midwest. And now he's in Cleveland in his home state. But also the fact that he never played alongside TJ Warren. They never had that group together. And so I, I believe it was the right decision by Rick and the front office to keep it moving and move on and restart the clock for this franchise, get younger, create a new identity, reset the culture here, which was non-existent the last couple of years, and now you're beginning to see somewhat of an identity. I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, several bullet points I want to hit on here early in the podcast, and I appreciate those joining me here. I made a point to kind of reset myself. I've, I haven't done these as often as I'd like. Quite honestly, it's because I don't have a producer, so not only do I record them, I have edit them, post them, uh, you have to write the teaser form, post them on the website, tweet them out. It's just a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So what may be a 30-minute podcast, I might have spent two and a half, three hours on. And my moneymakers, Fieldhouse Files, I love writing, love putting that stuff out there. I also love podcasting, but especially doing it myself. A lot of work goes into it um, when this is not a moneymaker for me. It's an extra thing that I enjoy doing on the side. Love having more conversations with people. And I'll get back to that. I haven't had those conversations with some here recently. It's been more just me catching you up on the big-time events or what I've realized, observed, reported on in recent weeks. But uh, we definitely will get back to that, and that's why I love to get started here. March 1st, kind of clean my palate as well and uh, get back to a, a predictable timeline because I know you Pacer fans would like and appreciate that. We're going to have a lot to get into. I will invite you, though, if you haven't done so already, please join me at fieldhousefiles.com. Subscribe there. You can subscribe for free. Get at least a story or two per week. Um, but the main thing is you want to be a paid subscriber. Everything goes directly to your inbox. So if you're one of those not on Twitter, you're taking a social media break, you, st- you don't have to go after it. You don't have to follow up and chase it. It's going to go directly to your inbox. It's all ad-free. And it's the Pacers coverage you want right there, covering uh, all the key issues and much more. And among those was something I wrote Sunday in the middle of the Pacers-Celtics game. And that was the Pacers assistant coach for player development, Tyler Marsh, will be leaving the team at the end of the season. I was told he is joining the Las Vegas Aces. He was out there during All-Star break, in fact, and uh, accepted an invitation to be on Becky Hammond's staff. Now, remember, WNBA season is only about six months, so... You're all in for that time period. No, you're not traveling charter, and you're not staying at the best hotels. And um, It's a different experience, but he's able to take on a bigger role. He'll, he'll be a front-of-bench guy, a key assistant coach, whereas right now he's behind the bench. There's a, a fold of or a list of you know 10 assistant coaches if you include player development guys and such. And so 
you take on more responsibility. It's another step in his growth process. He's was an assistant coach in the G League for four different franchises, including the Maddens. Then he was up with the Toronto Raptors uh, behind the bench in player development, an assistant video coordinator, won an NBA title with that staff. Then com- came to Indianapolis and was on Nate Bjorkren's staff. And, of course, Nate was fired, but uh, Tyler Marsh was a holdover, just like Calvert Chaney was in player development. Then Gennaro Pargo joined the fold on that front. Um, but it'll be a good opportunity for Tyler Marsh. He's from Alabama, so it's not like he's going home or anything, but a real opportunity with probably what I would say is the marquee franchise right now in the WNBA. Uh, they're spending over a million dollars on Becky Hammond's contract, and they're getting players out there. It's in Las Vegas, so it's really interesting there. Now, another piece of info I was able to confirm was that Jenny Busick was invited on that staff previously, but she declined. That makes a lot more sense, too. She's older, uh, has a three-year-old daughter, um, wants more stability. And it was Rick Carlisle, by the way, who entrusted her and hired her first in the NBA down in Dallas in 2018. Then she and Mike Weiner came with him along with Zach Chu here to Indianapolis. Uh, she's empowered. Uh, she is treated like a, a one of the top assistants. Uh, yes, you do see her sit behind the bench, but uh, there's specific circumstances and, and you reasonings behind all that but uh, she is widely respected and uh, that would have been a, a pay decrease less of a role and uh, I think she's happy with Rick this coaching staff and this opportunity with the Pacers but she did consider it because she is so close to Becky Hammond and obviously had been a former coach in the WNBA a former player as well maybe she would consider a head coaching role again in the W but it's a better job to be uh, one of the best assistants, top assistants on a team here in the NBA. Though, admittedly, it's a lot more work, but coming with that is it's a better pay as well. Now, uh, a lot of that took place and conversations had during All-Star break, which were a couple weeks ago. That was over in Cleveland. I didn't make it over there mainly because the Pacers' only representative was Tyrese Halliburton. He was purely involved in the Rising Stars Challenge, and that's it. Um, but I was happy for him because he finally got to experience an NBA event. Uh, that 2020 NBA class, which, by the way, Jalen Smith is also a part of, did not get experienced the true NBA life in terms of they didn't fly around to pre-draft workouts ahead of time. That is so challenging for so many of those guys. I mean, if they're not limited by their agent, they could go to you know 16 different cities in three weeks, and day after day, go through workouts and go through these intense workouts for two hours. I know with the Pacers, there's medical testing, there's um, mind evaluation and, and mental testing that goes along with it to test IQ and things like that. So it is straining. On top of that, you're by yourself. You're in a new city. Every day is a job interview. Imagine doing that for three straight weeks. Anyways, that didn't happen. Then you don't have the draft in person like you normally do at Barclays Center. No, he was back home and surrounded by a handful of family and friends. His girlfriend um, doesn't get a shake. You know, Adam Silver, the commissioner's hand. And then the Rising Stars Challenge didn't happen last year. It was kind of a very small all-star weekend. And uh, again, it was supposed to be in Indianapolis. That was postponed to 2024, but the game did happen. The All-Star game did down in Atlanta, but everything else was kind of tucked away and said, hey, we'll put this off till the following year. And Tyrese 
had a good time, but then he got the hell out of there, and I don't blame him because, one, he needed to get back to Sacramento where his mom and, and siblings lived, his dog, uh, needed to pack some stuff. I mean, him and, and Buddy and uh, Tristan Thompson kind of had to rush it. They found out that they were traded, you know, in the afternoon one day, and early the next morning we're on the chartered flight to Indianapolis with a, a couple bags, and that's about it. So they hadn't had an opportunity to fully move out and to Indianapolis and settle in and get out of a hotel, for example. So he only got a couple days out in Sacramento. Therefore, he really didn't have a restful All-Star break like you would have liked. Um, Chris Duarte did go to All-Star Weekend, which did surprise me a little bit because he was not a participant dealing with that sore big left toe. So he didn't participate in anything, but he was there. He was able to take part in the, or excuse me, watch and, and be there for the festivities, even though he did not take part. And then he boarded a private jet and went back home to Dominican Republic for, I think, three days and then had a difficult time coming back home, but then did make it back here to Indianapolis. Uh, after that, what it was a special time for him to be back home and see some friends and family, take part in some events like something with the Dominican Republic national team as well. So that was cool for him and important for so many just to get away and not think about basketball for a little bit. Last thing on All-Star Weekend that I found disappointing was that Larry Bird did not make it back. Um, by the way, I heard Cleveland All-Star Weekend was not fun, not enjoyable, um, was not special, not memorable. It didn't feel like most All-Star games. It was cold, didn't have all the parties and festivities. Um, and on top of that, it was less an All-Star game and more about the NBA celebrating the 75th anniversary. And as a part of that, the 75th anniversary team. Reggie was on that, and so was Larry Bird. But Larry, as I reported, would not be there. Um, I don't didn't get an explanation for why. Quite honestly, I think it's he's comfortable in Naples. It doesn't want to make the trip up. And, uh, you know, he's kind of turned off from basketball uh, in terms of moved on to the next chapter of his life, seemingly. And so he stayed away, and roughly about 50 of the 60 living members of that team did make it back, but you know, Larry and Bill Russell, for example, did not. And obviously, some had COVID concerns. You know, you're still flying with a mask. If you're not flying private, and maybe Larry is only flying private, I don't know that, but um, those are still concerns uh, that are, are certainly uh, issues that some have to consider when they decide whether to be involved or not, but I thought it was... A cool ceremony is a special blazer that they got, that navy blue one, and then they got a special jacket as well with their teams on it. So I thought that was well done by the NBA, but I can tell you a lot of, especially media friends, looking forward to another all-star game and uh, uh, something else. Salt Lake City next year, Indianapolis the year after that in 2024. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Well, we're a couple weeks and about seven games in since the trades, and Tyrese Halliburton has been everything the Pacers would have hoped for thus far. He's averaging 20 points in Tennessee. He's shooting really good, 52% from field, 47% from three. And so immediately coming in, you had Halliburton and Buddy Heel join the Pacers and become the Pacers' best three-point shooters on the team. Buddy's averaging a team best 21 points per game. He's shooting 50%. And Jalen Smith, another newcomer, he's shooting 46% from deep and said the other night that he's been given the green light. Teammates are insisting and coaching staff telling him, you got to shoot it. If you're open, shoot it. Otherwise, you're costing us points not taking the open shot. Well, he's been good for 13 points per game. Now, he did have that episode in Orlando Monday night where he got a technical after an offensive foul. A little bit questionable there, but then stayed at him. And the trouble was he stayed at Mark Davis, who's not going to tolerate that, who's not going to take any crap. And Jalen's a second-year player. He doesn't know him. Mark doesn't know him. And uh, he was barking some things at him. Would have preferred uh, they both just let it go and kept it moving. But there's also that third quarter where there was like 17 foul calls and 25 total free throws. It just dragged on. But Jalen was playing really well, was leading the team at some point. I think he had like 14 points, 8 assists, but did not finish the game. Uh, And then afterward, I thought it was really interesting what Rick Carlisle had to say in talking about Jalen and being ejected. And he spoke for several minutes uninterrupted about how you have to kind of accept that as a head coach. You don't want it. You want them to learn their lesson but you have to empower your players to be themselves. And he brought up an example, too, of Lance Stevenson, who the other night, I think, scored or got fouled and then flexed on the player, stared at him and flexed. Well, you can't do that without getting a technical. And as Rick noted, yeah, if he did it at the bench or to the fans to try to hype them up, nope, it's probably not a technical. But otherwise, it's taunting. And it was taunting in that situation. But if you remove that from Lance, you remove what makes Lance special. And so, yeah, he's hoping Jalen, for example, learns in this situation. But I thought that was a forward thinking and probably fresh take on enabling players and trusting them and wanting them to be themselves. And in doing so, you hope to get the best out of them. Uh, We didn't see Malcolm Brogdon. He sat out Monday night's game in Orlando and, uh, and yet another continued sequence of will he play or won't he? And he had just played the night before. In a win over Boston, played really well, 20-point game. Performed well, uh, but then not available Monday night, and the Pacers struggled because of it. Now, one of the biggest conversations that I've covered and many have and, and Rick's been asked about almost daily is how will it work with Tyrese and Malcolm in the backcourt? And I, I view this, first of all, as more of a short-term problem, but I think it's possible, and in uh, Malcolm's return, I thought we saw wise. He conceded, hey, look, Tyrese, you're the young guy. You're the future. You bring it up. I can as well, but I'll do so if maybe they guard you full court or 
uh, you need to get into the spot or whatever. But this is Tyree's team. He's now the face of the team, at least. Not quite there, I think, in a leadership role. And also, it's very difficult to take on a significant leadership role when you're in your first year with the team, when you're acquired midseason, late in the season, in a losing season. But you guys are going to absolutely love Tyrese Halliburton and the person he is off the court. How much he embraces this team and this community. And and this kind of reminds me of Victor's first year with the Pacers where he needed to be hugged as much as the Pacers needed a hug back. Well, Halliburton's embracing this community completely, and I think the Pacer fans will as well. You tell me. Let me know if you're already feeling the love there. I mean, recently he was already paying attention to the girls' state finals, and he joked, you guys got to let me know what else is coming up. So he was told about the Big Ten tournament, and he goes, oh, man. I'm a Big 12 guy. Um, can't be rooting for uh, the Big 10 or Iowa, but I would expect if they're in town for a game or two for him to be there. And the, obviously the first and second round of the NCAA tournament are at the field house. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him attend that if he can as well. Uh, he's just a basketball guy. He, he's a guy that wants to be active and take a, a active role in this community, much like Miles Turner did when he was drafted by the team. And uh, many others have, but now it'll be good to see more of that, especially uh, from Tyrese, who has been outstanding on the court. I mean, his assist numbers are really good. Uh, Pacers have not had, as I've continued to repeat, a point guard, a true point guard since Jamal Tensley. Well, I think Rick corrected that there at the trade deadline. And so you're also seeing a pivot to what the Pacers are wanting and and fitting a, a playing style that Rick prefers with more shooting, more spacing, a faster tempo, more versatility, offensively, defensively, uh, rim runners with Isaiah Jackson at the rim, for example. So kind of changing of the guard, a lot of the older players going out, uh, younger players coming in and being more the focal point. So, yes, when they play together, I think Malcolm and Tyrese will be good. It's just a matter of is that a long-term fit? Now, Malcolm's under contract through the 24-25 season, uh, about $22 million or so per year de-escalating contract I think it's a tradable contract as well and already I've been asked on several different shows do you do that and I think ultimately if the offer is good enough yes you do indeed trade Malcolm he's on a different timeline Uh, he's 29 Uh, you can't count on him for about 30 percent of each season it's not a knock on him as much as it's just his reality he's like Anthony Davis where every single year there's always going to be an injury, and there's a reason he fell to the second round in the draft. It's unfortunate, but that's his truth. One guy who's really performed and shined since the trade is O'Shea Brissett. I think this new playing style, uh, and slicing to the basket, having keen instincts, working well with good cutter or passers, uh, has paid off for O'Shea because Halliburton is finding him. He's finding him in the corner opposite ball. He's finding him slashing to the lane. Buddy has found him. So Brissett, I mean, the other night against Boston, he broke out and hit six three-pointers. I don't think he'll do that every game. But maybe he could hit three three-pointers and a couple backdoor layups, good for 10 points, uh, be able to uh, guard several different positions. That's intriguing. Uh, mostly he's a four, but he has spent time at other positions. But I've really commended 
uh, Brissett about his performances here lately, and he did bring some some special sunglasses to his post game press conference Sunday. That's what he did his first time uh, that he had a post game press conference. I don't know a couple months ago. Hadn't continued on as he's met with us the last couple of times, but did this last time. So I did enjoy that from O'Shea Brissett, who's under contract for next season. Pacers have a team option, and I don't know why they wouldn't pick that up. He's easily outperformed that three-year contract they gave him after a couple of 10-day contracts last year. It was about this time last year on a couple of 10 days that he outperformed, and the Pacers realized they had found a gym. And by the way, the Pacers do have one open roster spot since Tristan Thompson was waived and then moved on to the Bulls. So the Pacers could do one of several things. They could take a chance on a couple of guys, call them up, give them a 10-day and experiment over the final 19 games. Uh, They could, for example, choose to reward Terry Taylor with his first standard NBA contract and going from summer league contract to Exhibit 10 to a current two-way contract or They could choose to just leave it empty. Now, the payoff would be if you could sign uh, Terry, for example, to a two- or three-year deal. That would include the end of this year, and uh, you'd have a little bit more control of his contract, whereas this summer he could go sign with another team, for example. So uh, I think the Pacers really like what he's been able to do and get accomplished, and I hope to write a special story uh, about how they found him coming up here um, soon. Chris Duarte left that Orlando game re-aggravating that sore big toe. And if you remember this time last year, too, that's something that Miles Turner dealt with. I'm not sure if it's the exact same injury. It's described that way as, as a sore toe. Uh, but Miles described his more of kind of turf toe. But it's a rare NBA injury, and now two players have had it within a year. So I thought that was noteworthy and something I'm looking into Um One other big thing, too, is what we're seeing on the front court. Uh, One thing I've pushed for is you got to give opportunity and consistent minutes to the two main guys. That's Goga Pataze and Isaiah Jackson. Those guys um, just need reps. They need opportunity. They need minutes. They need to learn to play through foul trouble. And if they foul out, so what? It's a learning experience, much like Jalen Smith getting a two-technical ejection. I doubt that happens again this year because he's already gone through it. That's why part of me didn't understand Tristan Thompson being played you know, 20-plus minutes for some games while he was here during his short stint. I get it because in the short term, it, it provided some comfort, I think, especially for Halliburton and Heald, uh, who had been acquired. He knows what he's doing. You know what you're going to get from Thompson. But remember, he didn't play his final month in Sacramento, so... It's not like he was fresh and ready to go, but he was solid uh, and did his thing. But I I just want to see Goga, Isaiah, each get 20-plus minutes per game, no exceptions. Jalen would be great as well, but as I'm writing this week, is it's very unlikely he'll be back just because of his contract situation. What's the the long short of that is because the Phoenix Suns declined his third-year team option on his rookie deal. You never see that. I don't know what they were thinking for a guy that didn't get much opportunity. And in doing so, it also minimized his trade value and why the Pacers basically got him for Torrey Craig and saved some money. And it was a poor decision and strips the Pacers of some power here. And in doing so, severely limits them because all they can offer him is what that option is worth, about $4.5 million. And I can almost guarantee you, Jalen will command more than that 
when he becomes an unrestricted free agent. But Pacers will try, I think, to use the early bird rights. And there's not much wiggle room the the Pacers can deal with. But Jalen's proved to be a, a nice, solid young player that can really shoot the ball, that can play some inside, and you just want to see more of. But right now, it, the Pacers are not enticed and encouraged to play him more because, if anything, it increases his value elsewhere to the detriment of the Pacers, unfortunately. But that's the current situation with uh, Jalen. So the key thing now is is finding players that are on the same timeline. So you wonder about Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald. They're both 29 on a different path. But I will say the Pacers desperately needed more shooting. Brogdon's a good outside shooter. Buddy Heald is one of the best in the league right now at three-point shooting. But there's going to be a market for him in the summer especially with contending teams. And I could see them, if they have money or wanting to get off some contracts, for example, willing to make a deal with the Pacers. We saw in the offseason the Lakers had almost verbaled a commitment with the Kings to acquire Buddy Heald, but then Russell Westbrook became available. LeBron wanted that to happen, and so it didn't. By the way, it ended up benefiting the Pacers, if you remember. They got involved, moved on from Aaron Holiday, which was long overdue, and got the 22nd overall draft pick which is Isaiah Jackson. One last thing I want to hit on here as we enter the final six weeks of the season. That's bizarre in that we know an end date is in sight because they won't make the playoffs. It's April 10th. It's a road game for the Pacers, and that's where it all ends. But we're going to start turning our attention more to college basketball, to the NCAA tournament, to the pre-draft combine coming up in a couple of months. And uh, that's their current reality because they're – not going to be on the playoffs, and we'll have a better draft pick, and in fact have several draft picks uh, that are very good and that they can use to get better either using or ultimately trading. But the thing I was surprised by recently was the Pacers' TV ratings. We saw that released by the great John Oran of SBJ, and he had the Pacers' ninth, reported their ninth in the league in local TV ratings, the regional sports network, so that's Bally Sports Indiana. And I was dumbfounded. I told Kristen Airy I was shocked. I I would have guessed uh, 22nd, 25th. Um, I will say the, the numbers are in, different, interesting. I don't know how I want to term it. Just in terms of, you know, by a sheer numbers, more people are watching the Brooklyn Nets. But that rating is a percentage of the population. And so while the Nets have a, a poor rating, it's because they play in one of the largest, the largest media market that there is. In the country, for example. Um, So the Pacers finished ninth on that list as I pull it up. Golden State Warriors, no surprise. Not just number one, but double anyone else. And here's the kicker here that kind of pisses me off, too. NBC is one of those that has not been traveling its announcers and its, its broadcasters. And so the Warriors broadcast team easily has this rating without being on the road. And so this NBC Sports Bay Area is printing money based on the Warriors' production and commercials and ad sales, and yet they aren't committing to sending them on the road. Now, the Warriors, in fairness, may have a say there. They may say we don't want extra personnel on our plane. I admit that. And San Francisco is much different than Indiana and Cleveland and Orlando. That's telling. Cleveland Cavaliers' second-best rating. Philadelphia, they're not traveling their announcers. They are third. Milwaukee, they're not traveling announcers. They're fourth. Bulls are, I think, for the most part, and they're fifth. 
but the Pacers are ninth on that list. At the very bottom is the Denver Nuggets. That's no, not surprising because if you think the Pacers' TV problems are an issue, uh, it's much worse there in Denver. You can subscribe, I think, to their local cable product and still not get altitude sports but that's something i'm sure herb simon and the pacers are a little bit happy about that their ratings aren't just awful um though i would understand it because up in at least until the trade this was not a likable fun product they were losing consistently losing and uh, i think the one thing the pacers did have going for them though is they would play good for about three quarters oftentimes and how many games this season have they just collapsed late and performed poorly and just stunk it up late in games? They're the worst team in the clutch in the NBA. That's the final five minutes of a game that's decided by five points or less. For context, the Phoenix Suns are the best. 29 games in the clutch. They're 25-4. and four. The Pacers, meanwhile, have had 35 games in the clutch, second only to the Lakers, and the Pacers have half as many wins as the Lakers, who are awful, by the way. Pacers are 9-26. and Their defense has been awful. They've been outscored, a net rating of almost 24 points per game. But that leads to people turning off and not wanting to watch. So I was pleasantly surprised to see success. You want to see other media outlets. You want to see the Pacers TV. You want to see everybody succeed. As others succeed, I think we all succeed. But... I can't say I wasn't surprised by that TV ratings because I can't watch them on YouTube TV. I can't watch them on Hulu TV, uh, which is for younger generations. It's for those that want to get rid of the cable and the cable bundle. But I think as we're all seeing, we're all subscribing to so many different bundles that it's probably better if things get bundled up. But that's a whole different sports media conversation. I'm a sports media nerd myself, so I get into all that. But that's probably a conversation only me and Chris Denieri honestly enjoy. But let's wrap up this podcast right there. 19 games left. Things are going to be interesting. Still plenty to watch for, a lot of which I covered on the podcast. Um, But I encourage you to join me at fieldhousefiles.com. If you haven't done so already, Subscribe, become a paid subscriber, and that way you can read all stories, new and archived. They're delivered to your inbox, and you can join in the conversation in the comments section like we had over the weekend with so many subscribers there and just answering their questions about individual scenarios and what I foresee happening. So that's one of the many perks of joining me there. But Happy March 1st. Uh, Crazy to believe the Pacer season's wrapping up. If you're at a game at GameBridge Fieldhouse and you see me, please do say hello. By the way, there's now a Chick-fil-A on the south end, uh, but it is closed on Sunday games. But that will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. I do appreciate you listening. I do appreciate those who have made it all this long on this episode. And I'll talk to you again soon. 